Kitetse contains more laws than any other parasha in the Torah. And it's possible to be overwhelmed by this embaradurishes of detail. But one verse stands out by sheer counterintuitiveness. Lotataev Edomi, do not despise an Edomite because he's your brother. And do not despise an Egyptian because you were a stranger in his land. These are very unexpected commands, and understanding them will teach us an important lesson about leadership. First, a general point. Jews have been subjected to racism more and longer than any other nation on earth. Therefore, we should be doubly careful never to be guilty of it ourselves. We believe that God has created each of us, regardless of color, class, culture, or creed, in his image. If we look down on other people because of their race, then we are demeaning God's image and failing to respect kavod habriot, human dignity. If we think less of a person because of the color of his or her skin, then we are repeating the sin of Aaron and Miriam, about whom it says that they spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married, because he had married a Cushite woman. There are Midrashic interpretations that read this passage differently, but the plain sense is that they looked down on Moses' wife because, like Cushite women generally, she had dark skin, making this one of the first recorded instances of color prejudice. For this sin, Miriam was struck with leprosy. Instead, we should remember the lovely line from Shir Hashirim, I am black but beautiful, O daughters of Jerusalem. Jews cannot complain that others have racist attitudes towards them if they hold racist attitudes towards others. First correct yourself, then seek to correct others, says the Gemara. Tanakh contains negative evaluations of some other nations, but always and only because of their moral failures, never because of their ethnicity or skin color. Now to Moses' two commands against hate, both of which are surprising. Don't despise an Egyptian because you were strangers in his land. Now this is extraordinary. The Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, planned a program against them of slow genocide, then refused to let them go despite the plagues that were devastating the land. Are these reasons not to hate? True. But the Egyptians had initially provided a refuge for the Israelites at a time of famine. They'd honored Joseph and made him second in command. The evils they committed against them under a new king who did not know of Joseph were at the instigation of Pharaoh himself, not the people as a whole, besides which it was the daughter of that Pharaoh who rescued Moses and adopted him. The Torah makes a clear distinction between the Egyptians and the Amalekites. The latter were destined to be perennial enemies of Israel, but not the former. In a later age, Isaiah would make a remarkable prophecy that the day would come when the Egyptians would suffer their own oppression. They would cry out to God who would rescue them, just as he had rescued the Israelites. Um, Isaiah says in chapter 19, of the book that bears his name, when they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender, and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day they will acknowledge 
the, the Lord. In other words, God will rescue the Egyptians, just as centuries earlier he had rescued the Israelites. The wisdom of Moses' command not to despise Egyptians still shines through today. If the people continued to hate their erstwhile oppressors, then Moses might have taken the Israelites out of Egypt, but he would have failed to take Egypt out of the Israelites. They would still be slaves, not physically, but psychologically. They would be slaves to the past, held captives, captive by the chains of resentment, unable to build the future. To be free, you have to let go of hate. That is a difficult truth, but a necessary one. No less surprising is Moses' insistence, don't despise an Edomite because he's your brother. Edom, of course, was the other name of Esau. There was a time when Esau hated Jacob and vowed to kill him, besides which, before the twins were born, Rebekah received an oracle telling her, There are two nations in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other and the elder will serve the younger. Whatever those words mean, they seem to imply there will be eternal conflict between the two brothers and their descendants. And indeed, at a much later age during the Baitsheni period, the Second Temple period, Malachi, the prophet, said, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Centuries later still, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says it is a halacha, a rule, a law, a general truth that Esau hates Jacob. Why then does Moses tell us not to despise Esau's descendants? The answer is simple. Esau may hate Jacob, but it doesn't follow that Jacob should hate Esau. To answer hate with hate is to be dragged down to the level of your opponent. When in the course of a television program I asked Judea Pearl, father of the murdered journalist Daniel Pearl, why he was working for reconciliation between Jews and Muslims, he replied with an absolutely heartbreaking lucidity, hate killed my son, therefore I am determined to fight hate. As Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Or as Kohelet said, there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It was none other than Shimon Bayochai who said that when Esau met Jacob for the last time, he kissed and embraced him with a full heart. Hate, especially between brothers, is not eternal and inexorable. Always be ready, Moses seemed to have implied, for reconciliation between enemies. Contemporary games theory suggests the same. Martin Novak's program, Generous Tit for Tat, is a winning strategy in the scenario known as the Iterated Prisoner's Dilemma. Tit for Tat says start by being nice to your opponent, then do to him what he does to you. What we call in Hebrew, Midah Keneged Midah. Generous Tit for Tat says don't always do to him what he does to you. You may find yourself locked into a mutual, mutually destructive cycle of retaliation. Every so often ignore, i.e. forgive, your opponent's last harmful move. That, roughly speaking, was what the sages meant when they said, 
that God originally created the world under the attribute of strict justice, but saw that it couldn't survive. Therefore, he built into it the principle of compassion. So, Moses' two commands against hate are a testimony to his greatness as a leader. It's the easiest thing in the world to become a leader by mobilizing the forces of hate. That's what Radovan Karadzic and Slobodan Milosevic did in the former Yugoslavia, and it led to mass murder and ethnic cleansing. It's what the state-controlled media did in Rwanda by describing Tutsis as Inyenzi, cockroaches, before the 1994 genocide. It's what dozens of preachers of hate are doing today, often using the internet to communicate paranoia and incite acts of terror. It was the technique mastered by Hitler as a prelude to the worst ever crime of man against man. The language of hate is capable of creating enmity between people of different faiths and ethnicities who may have lived peacefully together for centuries. It has been consistently the most destructive force in history, and even knowledge of the Holocaust has not put an end to it, even in Europe. It is the unmistakable mark of toxic leadership. In his classic work, Leadership, James McGregor Burns distinguishes between transactional and transformational leaders. The former address people's interests, the latter attempt to raise their sights. Transforming leadership, he says, is elevating. It's moral, but not moralistic. Leaders engage with followers, but from higher levels of morality. In the enmeshing of goals and values, both leaders and followers are raised to a more principled level of judgment. Leadership, at its highest, transforms those who exercise it and those who are influenced by it. The great leaders make people better, kinder, and nobler than they would otherwise be. That was the achievement of George Washington, of Lincoln, of Churchill, of Gandhi, and of Mandela. The paradigm case was Moses, the man who had more lasting influence than any other leader in history. He did it by teaching the Israelites not to hate. Hate the sin, but not the sinner. Don't forget the past, but don't be held captive by it. Be willing to fight your enemies, but never allow yourself to be defined by them or become like them. Learn to love and forgive. Acknowledge the evil men do, but stay focused on the good that is in our power to do. Only thus do we raise the moral sights of humankind and help redeem the world we share.